And Shabbat Shalom. Greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. We're on the funny cam again this Sabbath. Bear with us as we're doing some upgrades here in studio. And in the meantime, we'll be on the funny cam. Tell me if you've got some good sound in the chat there and if the audio and the visuals are clear. That would be splendid. So I know that you are with me. In the meantime, greet one another in the chat. We are in Isaiah, the fifth Hebrew gospel, and today we are in chapter 31. I want to thank all of you for your support. Please continue to consider supporting Torah to the tribes, this ministry with your gifts, with your donations, with your giving. Thank you so much. Also, please subscribe here to the ministry channel and go check us out over on Odyssey. We did have another um, video removed um, this week um, from YouTube. It was Hebrews chapter 3 because I was talking about leprosy and that did not um, line up with the um, medical information that the, the WHO wants to go out. But I also think that it might have been that I was talking about the Khazars as well. But, you know, they didn't actually state that. They said it was for medical misinformation. How's the sound, brethren? Good, perfect sound and video. Thank you, Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Give us some thumbs up. Subscribe to this channel over here. And like I say, do pop over to Odyssey where we are backing everything up over there. Let's delve in. Let's dig into chapter 31. It's in a similar vein, similar theme as chapter 30. Let's start off. Woe to them that go down to Mitzrayim for help and rely on horses and trust in Merkavot, chariots, because there are many, and in horsemen, because they are very strong. But they look not to the Kadosh One, the Holy One of Israel, neither did they see Yahuwah. And again, you can hear in within the text the similar vein as we were in last week. I want to bring you to your attention the word batak in the Hebrew, um, often translated as trust or relying. What is we've got this emphasis here on the theme of trust. So the chapter, again, it warns against relying on the world, relying on Mitzrayim, Egypt, a type of the world, for protection instead of trusting in Yahuwah. So the word batak in the Hebrew, it signifies a deep, unwavering trust and confidence. And that's what we need. We need that deep. It's got to be deep within us unwavering confidence in Yahuwah. So here, the prophet is urging Judah, as well as us today, to place our faith securely in Yahuwah rather than worldly governmental powers, princes and kings who will lead us astray. Look at verse 2. Yet he is also wise and will bring evil and will not take back his words, but will arise against the bait, the house of the evildoers. 
and against the helpers of those that work iniquity. Now the Mitzrim, the Egyptians are men and not El, and their horses are flesh and not the Ruach HaKodesh. When Yahweh shall stretch out his hand, both he that helps shall fall, and he that is being helped shall fall down, and they shall fall together. So as we continue down through the text, you can see that the prophet addresses Judah's inclination to again rely on Mitzrayim, Egypt, for protection rather than turning or returning in this case, because they had turned away, Teshuvah to Yahuwah. So he's an extending a warning against trusting in human alliances over divine guidance. And this comes from the context of last week, chapter 30. So the, his, the, the historical narrative is being brought forward, and it draws a parallel, I believe, on our contemporary struggles today, does it not? It really underscores this text, and last week, the consequences that will befall us if we place our trust in human strength, in human alliance, in government benefits and privileges that result, brethren, in adhesion contracts and the loss of rights. You see, in the Constitution, we are given the unlimited right to contract. And government got smart. They're like, hang on a minute. If we contract them with them, then we can contract with them and we can contract them out of the Constitution and they'll lose all of their rights. So what do they do? They entice you to sign up for things, licenses, privileges, benefits, and you always need an adhesion number to get these benefits and privileges that index you into their system and then there's a loss of rights. There's a loss of your standing and you've contracted yourself out of all of the protections that have been given to you from your forefathers. So it's a wake-up call. We need to return to sovereignty, which is that we are citizens of heaven, not the 10 square miles of a territorial jurisdiction, that we are citizens of heaven and that we are kingdom of priests and a holy, holy nation. So the question persists, persists, excuse me. When will people wake up and recognize the perils of turning away from divine counsel in favor of seeking solace in deceit and oppression? When? Some never will. Isaiah issues a call a call to spiritual renewal and restoration. He's cautioning against forsaking Yahweh's counsel. He's cautioning against relying on deceptive means. This, brethren, symbolizes a spiritual decline when you do, and it leads to a loss, a loss generationally, a loss of divine protection, and the loss of sovereign rights. Similar to chapter 30, there's a shift now, again, to the agricultural imagery. And this, like last week, emphasizes the promise of restoration and prosperity once the Assyrian threat 
is averted. Remember the context. So Judah's struggle was misplaced with trust in alliances, and it finds a common thread today in our modern world that trusts in alliances and a reliance upon worldly powers instead of people going back to the Bible, going back to the basics, instead of seeking divine guidance resulting in spiritual and moral deterioration. And we even see it within religion. People would rather follow their doctrines and traditions than actually what the Bible says and rather argue with you over doctrine rather than turning to the Bible and saying, what does it say? What does it say? Can we just agree? Why don't we just believe everything from Genesis 1 all the way till the end of Revelation instead of chopping it up in Catholic and Protestant dogma and doctrine and indoctrination? Why can't we just accept Yahweh's word for what it is at face value instead of saying, you know, yeah, I like the Ten Commandments, but it's really nine and the other one's a suggestion? That's a principle. When did a commandment get turned into a principle? Oh, well, my traditions. Well, Isaiah says well of those traditions. And Yahushua quotes it. Why is it do you follow the vain traditions of men and you forsake the commandments of the living Elohim? It's time to return back to simplicity of the text and of the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So many people are lost in all of the doctrine and all of the dogma. The lesson is clear, brethren. Maintain trust in Yahweh rather than earthly powers. And they can even even be earthly religious powers, earthly congregational powers. It's a call for us to trust in divine wisdom and guidance, leading, of course, to a spiritual restoration and a bestowment of blessings upon our lives. If you keep my commandments, you're going to be blessed, and you will overcome the threats and the adversities in your life because obedience brings blessing. If you love me, keep your doctrines. Is that what Yahushua said? No. If you love me, do a few of my commandments, but the rest, they've been abrogated because I came along. And I died. I died to make pigs clean. That's what I came to do. This is asinine. This is asinine thinking. He came to make men clean, which is why Cornelius is the example in Acts chapter 10. It's not a trotter. It's Cornelius. The context is given to us. But our doctrines and dogmas, men cannot see the wood for the trees because they've been clouded thousands of years of tradition and then they get very very intimidated and fearful around the presence of those that devoutly believe the whole of the scripture at face value it's very threatening to them very intimidating and this is just what we see in our society just as judah was called to trust in Yahweh's divine guidance over alliances with Egypt, we are called to trust in Yahweh's divine 
guidance over alliances with religions, doctrines, dogmas of this world because they are earthly powers. They are papal in origin. Don't tell me that Protestant isn't Catholic. It is. They are still practicing Catholic doctrines. Even the Pope will tell you that Sunday isn't the Sabbath. Okay? Even the Pope, the modern Pope today, we, he was on TikTok this week telling you that. He was. But we won't, let's not talk about that, okay? Because Sunday's the Sabbath. No, it's not, man. Wake up. Stop regurgitating doctrine because you're trying to protect your little piece of turf. But this is what happens when we grow up in these control systems. And they are control systems. So we are called to come out of her, my people. We should seek solace not in Egypt, but in divine counsel rather than placing trust in temporal doctrines and the deceitful worldly means. Let's look at verse 4. I'll have a little sip. You chat with one another. Give me a sec. For this has Yahuwah spoken to me, like as the lion and the young lion roaring on its prey, when a multitude of shepherds is called forth against him, he will not be afraid of their voice, nor humble himself for the noise of them. So shall Yahuwah Sevot come down to fight for Hatzion and for its hill. As birds flying, so will Yahuwah Sevot defend Yerushalayim, defending and delivering it and passing over and preserving it. Preserving it. Remnant, a remnant or a survivor. The word here is she'er in the Hebrew, she'er. And the term she'er, it's indicating a surviving portion or a remnant. So in the context of this chapter, it alludes to the survivors who will remain after the Assyrian threat has been dealt with, just like last week. It's signifying the remnants of the people. It serves as a metaphor for hope. You're the remnant. Well, the remnant loves and keeps the commandments of Yahuwah. You can't say you're the remnant and, and, and pass out scripture into your denominational doctrines. Because that's not what the end of the game tells us. In the book of Revelation, it's very clear. It's those who have the testimony of Yahushua and keep his commandments. I and my father are one. The father is greater than the son. <gasps> that's offensive. No, it's not. It's what the Bible says. There are two powers. One in heaven, one on earth. And now there's two powers in heaven, one sitting at the right hand of the other. Ekad, a plural compound unity. It's not that complicated. Ekad, a compound unity. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. We don't need to make up a whole Roman pagan doctrine to explain the compound unity of the Creator. But they've done it. 
and people have believed it for thousands of years. And if you don't sign on to that stupidity, then you are what? Crazy. An offense. Just go to the Bible. Look in the Bible. What does the Bible say? Ekad is plural in form. Not singular, but plural. This tells, in, this tells us so much. And when we stick to the Bible, then we're safe from the perils of men and their crazy ideas. Look at what the Scripture is telling us. There is hope. There is going to be a portion that will be preserved. There is going to be a portion that is saved despite the impending danger. Verse 6. Now make teshuva, repentance to him, from whom the children of Israel have deeply fallen away. For in that day every man shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your own hands have made for yourselves to sin. The Hebrew word we see in this portion of the text is shuv. Shuv, return, teshuva, return, go back to where you came from, Yahuwah. Return back in verse 6, denoting a return or turning back to Elohim. It's a call for all of us to make repentance, to change direction. It's not too late to lay down your papal doctrines that have been inherited by the Protestants that you haven't questioned. Become more literate and you will see what is written in the scriptures as it is written, as it is written, and then possibly you will change direction. In this chapter, it signifies the people turning back to Yahweh, retracing their steps from trusting in Mitzrayim, Egypt, and returning to reliance upon the Most High. Look at verse 8. Then, when, then shall Eshur fall with the sword, not of a mighty man, and the sword not from mankind, but he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be put to forced labor. And he shall pass over to his stronghold for fear, and his rulers shall be afraid of the banner, says Yahuwah, whose fire is in Zion and whose furnace is in Yerushalayim. Salvation, Yeshua. Yeshua doesn't specifically appear in this chapter, but it is a relevant term throughout the book of Isaiah. Salvation is deliverance. Yeshua is deliverance. In the context of Isaiah chapter 31, it is clear the chapter is calling us to trust in Elohim for salvation rather than seeking security through Egypt or other human means. It's very clear. We know the ultimate message is one of finding deliverance through trust in Yahusha alone. True salvation. The message, brethren, is one of the most important messages in the scriptures of trust. 
the promise of a surviving remnant, the call to return to our creator, lay down the doctrines of Egypt. And ultimately, there's the concept of salvation and deliverance. Now, we've only got nine verses, and I could be done, but I'm not. Because I want to look at it in the framework now, because I believe that Isaiah can show us the text now within a premillennial, millennial, and postmillennial eschatological context. Because that's what I'm kind of into lately, can you tell? So let's look at it from the premillennial. Let's put our premillennial glasses on. Isaiah 31. Then, brethren, with our premillennial glasses, as a warning about relying on earthly powers, symbolized by the alliance between Judah and Egypt. So it's really serving on Yahuwah. This chapter then could be seen as foreshadowing a period of tribulation and testing that will precede the millennium. The call to return back to Yahuwah. Trust in him alone for deliverance, it resonates with me with a premillennial belief that there will be tumultuous times before we go into the millennium. We're going to go through Jacob's first trouble. Now, let's look at the millennial significance. We'll put on our millennial glasses. During the millennium, we can see hope. We can see that we are with Yahusha. His spirit is in us. We are fully connected and we have a view of hope and restoration after Jacob's first trouble, the time of trial. The surviving remnant, the theme of the remnant, depicted in verse 5, represents those who have emerged from Jacob's first trouble and who are preserved, the remnant, preservation, for the millennial reign. Pretty cool. See, the word sier, or shier, not sier, excuse me, the word shier, remnant, could be seen as symbolic of the righteous and faithful who endure and witness the blessings and restoration during the millennial period. Could you see that? You could see that. Then at the end of the millennium, Satan, S-A-T-A-N, is released, and that is Jacob's great trouble or great tribulation at the end of the millennium. Following the millennium, the release of S-A-T-A-N, as described in the book of Revelation, parallels the theme of turning away from Yahweh's protection and relying on worldly powers. Isaiah 31's warning against trusting in Egypt can be interpreted as a broader caution, brethren, pay attention, against humanity's tendency to fall back. Do we not have a tendency to backslide, to fall back into sin and rebellion, leading to a period of great tribulation or great trouble, either now in our lives personally, if you backslide, you're going to have great tribulation. And there is a great tribulation to come when the remnant that went through the millennium then backslide and then great tribulation comes. So this is a caution 
don't go a sinning because great tribulation will come into your life. Unless you repent, teshuva, and return back to the Holy One of Israel. So then we look after the great tribulation at the end of the millennium. There's the final return in bodily form of Yahusha. So when Isaiah 31 is understood in an eschatological context, it aligns with the final return of Mashiach. You look confused. Are you tracking or are you confused? You're a little, she's confused. It's very clear to you guys, front rowers. See, the front rowers always get it, right? In the eschatological context, <laughs> it aligns with the final return. What is he going on about? It relies, brethren. All right, I'm going to go back over to the chat. Have I lost you all? All right, Michael Michael's got some fire and some facts. He's with me. Who else is with me? Come on. Come on, brethren. Where are we at? Rose, Rosina Santana, she's giving me a four. What does that mean? Drew, nope, he's still here. Nope, you don't get it, or nope, you're still here. I'm not sure. Diesel's double thumbs up. He's like, oh, this is so easy. This is elementary stuff. Okay. Waymaker, tracking. Graham Diesel, Graham Mark, definitely following. We knew that. Daniel, fire, fire. All right, Drew, you've got it. All right. Just got to make sure. Jose is sending me clown pictures. Oh, he's got his glasses on. I, got, I, need, new, I need a new prescription. It looked like you. Jose, it looked like you were sending me clown pictures. All right, back on track. Okay. Let me just. We're at the final return of Yahusha eschatologically. Isaiah then, in that context, it aligns with the final return of Mashiach. We've got to trust in Yahuwah. Stop relying in worldly powers. If you rebel, a great tribulation is going to come into your life, either now or literally at the great tribulation. So this preparation sets the stage for the ultimate return of Yahusha to establish his eternal kingdom. So this chapter, it represents the culmination of history, highlighting themes of trust, Restoration, the perseverance of the faithful remnant. That's you. That's me. A period of tribulation and the final return and reign of salvation himself. For us, it imparts a profound lesson on the importance of staying on course, of not backsliding, of maintaining the faith, that was once delivered to the Pope. No, that was once delivered to the saints, man, for crying out loud. Give it up. But we can't lay down the dogma, can we? Well, they was, they've been doing this. Are you telling me then that Benny Hinn was wrong? Yes. Oh, so you're saying, yes, they were wrong. The word is right and every other man is a liar. Align yourself with the word of Yah. What is so difficult, man? 
oh, but you know, well, well, this doesn't happen, and then this changed here, and now we don't do that anymore, and this, okay, chapter and verse, please. There isn't one. It doesn't exist. You're making it up, and you would never come up with this unless somebody had programmed you to come up with this. You would not come up with this if you just opened in Genesis and read all the way to Revelation. You came up with this because you were programmed. You would never come up with this, just like if you would go to the beach, you would look out and you'd, you'd, you'd come up with you know, some reality of what's happening out there when you see the ocean waves. But we've been programmed by the controllers. Religious, secular, they're Egyptian, they're papal in origin. We must heed the important lesson of maintaining faith in Yahuwah, even in trials of adversity, even in trials of threat, even when you're rejected. It serves as a reminder that true security, brethren, and protection stem from aligning with divine wisdom, not the wisdom of men. The wisdom of men is foolishness. The wisdom of men is foolishness. We must not trust in human alliances. We must, must not trust in doctrinal powers. Isaiah chapter 31, verse 9 specifically, is now going to be brought forward to this absolute cluster in the Middle East. We're going to look at verse 9 in the context of the state of Israel and the war in Gaza. Because the language here is very symbolic. And I want to interpret it in the context of the modern war in the state of Israel and how it involves delving into historical and geopolitical considerations. Verse 9. And his rock will pass away because of panic and his officers panic at the standard. What is the standard of the state of Israel? It is the star of Ramphan. And they say it's the star of David. Again, doctrinal men's not. It's the star of Ramphan. Let's be very clear. That's the standard. His rock will pass away because of panic. So the rock in biblical symbolism refers to a place of refuge or strength. It represents, brethren, the military or political stronghold of a nation. The mention of it passing away here then, due to panic, suggests a sudden and unexpected collapse or downfall of the state of Israel. His officers panic at the standard. The officers signifies the corrupt Zionist leaders and the military commanders of the nations. The term standard refers to the flag or banner around which the troops would gather. And they just hoisted that flag, the Star of Ramphan, on the beaches in Gaza. And the panic 
among the officers at the standard implies a breakdown in military leadership, a breakdown in military cohesion in the face of an unseen threat, the tunnels in Gaza. That's what we're going to see. So in the context of a modern war in the state of Israel and the spillover, the spillover of an Islamic threat, you can see that verse 9 could be interpreted, I'm choosing to interpret it, as a chilling prophecy of a nation's dire vulnerability and internal strife in the face of impending terror. And it's going to happen under the banner of the star of Ramphan. The crumbling rock symbolizes the once secure defense structure of the IDF, now succumbing to the overwhelming onslaught of their fear-inducing enemies. The panic among the officers at the standard of Ramfam, the so-called Star of David, I think paints a vivid picture of military leadership paralyzed by terror because what? They're scared of Islam. They are scared of being judged badly by the world. They're going to Egypt. They're looking to Egypt for support. They're looking to Egypt. They're not going to do what it needs to be done. They're going to look to Egypt. They are paralyzed by terror of what the world will think of them as the very fabric then of their military command unravels in the ominous shadow of an impending catastrophe. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. So then, bear with me, if you start to tie verse 9 in, in our modern world, with Zechariah chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14, the furnace-like intensity of the situation forewarned in Isaiah chapter 31 verse 9 it actually aligns seamlessly with the prophetic imagery of Jerusalem becoming a cauldron of turmoil, a place of inescapable, terrifying conflict. It really does. So this verse is laden with, with apocalyptic um, undertones. It truly is. And it serves, I believe, as a prelude to the catastrophic events foretold in Zechariah chapter 12, 13, and 14, where Jerusalem emerges as a heavy stone causing nations to tremble with dread. And that's what we're going to see. You see, Isaiah's words, brethren, they prophesy and portray a landscape fraught with imminent and catastrophic terror setting the stage for the unfolding apocalyptic drama prophesied in the scriptures of which we are all very familiar with. We just trekked through Revelation during COVID. Come on. We're very familiar with apocalyptic literature. But read um, Zechariah chapter 12, 13, and 14, and the cauldron, and the fire, and the furnace, and you see the context, how it seamlessly aligns with verse 9 of Isaiah. I believe what we are seeing right here 
is the word alive in our generation. Pretty interesting. As Isaiah continues to unpack more, chapter 32 next week. But just meditate on that. I think this is alive. The scripture is telling us and forewarning us. It's time to make teshuva. It's time to stop turning to worldly alliances. Because your doctrines, your dogmas, your denominations, they're not going to help you. The government, the world will fail you. Only the power of the holy word of Yahuwah and the holy one of Israel and his indwelling Ruach HaKodesh and his salvation, Yahusha, that together in a man and a woman makes a remnant ready for the spiritual harvest of the millennium. I think it's a, a very inspiring chapter myself. Let me bounce on over back to the chat here and see if you have any questions. I'm on the funny cam here, so I can actually see the chat a lot easier. If you do want to put something up in the chat, if you love the teaching, hate the teaching, agree or disagree, just pop it up in the chat, and that's absolutely fine. We do want to try and edify one another. Is the menorah seven or nine? It should be seven but, you know, nine if you like to do tradition. Um, I can't see that one. That's a little emoji. Oh, yeah, but on the, um, Karen Long says, the menorah is yet the official symbol of Israel, and they almost used it, used this on their flag, but they went for the star instead. Yeah. Yeah, and I believe, actually, they were going to go with the seven-branch menorah, too. Yeah. Let's see what else. Um, all right. Oh, Scott Tube, it's a, a geometric representation of the number 666. Very interesting, very interesting. All right, let me see if I've got anything else. If you want to redline me, it might make, draw my attention to you more. Hey, um, the Libby Link, Libby Link, she also contacted me this week. Shabbat Shalom, Libby. And, and her channel's being cleansed as well. Um, you know, medical misinformation. I don't know what Libby said. Maybe she was talking about leprosy too. My goodness. Let's see. Well, it doesn't look like you've got any questions for me unless I'm not navigating this thing properly. Any? No. All is good. Blessings. Blessings. I said Benny Hinn, or did I say Benny Hill? Well, you said I, Benny Hinn. I said, okay, somebody said Benny Hill. I'm like, yeah, no, no, I didn't. Maybe it was a, a Freudian slip from my childhood, <laughs> Benny Hill. Yeah, but some of these Benny Hins are more akin to Benny Hill. I'd, I'd actually rather listen to Benny Hill. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. Baruch Hashem, Yahweh, Jose. There seems to be lots of similarities with, I, with Isaiah 1, a remnant is left. Oh, thank you. Baruch Hashem, Yahweh. And then Aaron Cermak says, um, where in Zechariah is the destruction of the West Coast prophesied? I think it's in 14, isn't it? From Ashkelon all the way up further north, where um, is it two-thirds destroyed and one-third remains? I always get that back to front, but I believe that's what it says. I think it's in 14, Aaron. I'd have to, well, let me look right now. I've got it in front of me. Zechariah. Or maybe I don't have time. I'm running out of power on the old on the old computer. Yeah, I think it's 14, but I'd have to look here. Let's see what else we got. I'm explaining well. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, Michael. Michael, appreciate the encouragement. No, anymore. We wouldn't want to promote Hanukkah. Thank you. Torah, Torah to the tribes, T4 people. I also see the millennium in every chapter, every book. You start to see it everywhere. It's like the two houses of Israel. Once you see the two houses of Israel, it's everywhere, isn't it? Everywhere. And you're like, oh my goodness. How can you read the Bible and not understand the two houses of Israel? If you don't understand the two houses of Israel, your, your understanding of the Bible is still elementary, right? And that's a quote, a you know, a, a paraphrase of a of a quote from um, a, a scholar in the 19th century that says, "If you don't understand the two houses of Israel, then your understanding of the Bible is still in its elementary stages." And that's the problem with religion. Two houses of Israel. What are you talking about? What? Well, go to the book of James. To the twelve tribes still currently scattered abroad. That means we've got to return, which means we've got to return to the Pope's doctrines. No. How about we return to the laws of Moses? How about we do things Bible ways and we'll become the Bible remnant? Isn't that amazing? Shabbat shalom to you. Thank you for hanging with me. Hey, consider donating to the ministry and supporting the ministry financially. We'd love to do some great upgrades here in the studio with... Um, our broadcasting. Those of you that do support the ministry, thank you so much. You can also support us by giving us some thumbs up right now and subscribing to the channel. Go over there and take a look at Odyssey because we've backed everything up there. Also, some of our faithful remnant out there, like Michael Michael, they've decided to help us and download some of our teachings onto external hard drives. So if we do get booted, we'll still be able to go back and listen to some of those historical teachings that have impacted you, that have impacted me too. Why? Yes, I'm teaching them, but I had to learn to be able to teach. So I'm so thankful that you're still with us and tracking all the way into the millennium. We live in amazing times, and I'm blessed to be a part of this ministry of which you guys are a part of too. Let's stay strong. Let's keep our face set towards Yerushalayim, the true Yerushalayim, because we know that Yahuwah is restoring the remnant 
the 12 tribes of Israel, of which you are scattered abroad. Shabbat Shalom, everybody.